0: All right, here we go. Quiet! Quiet! quiet. Problem! Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of yesterday and today, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from (laughs) me is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief, one and only rich trees
1: (laughs) and seated literally across the microphone from me today as opposed to the usual figure of speech that we use in our opener is film buff online contributing editor natasha (laughs) Boginski. how you doing natasha
0: nice try i think Uh, mine was better
1: yeah it was
0: put your hands together for the one and only rich trees
1: oh no one's ever that excited to see me (laughs) But anyway.
0: I I can definitely say that's true. Ow.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, I I can't argue. Anyways, how you doing? Uh. I'm stuffed. (laughs) Yeah, that huge salad you just ate before we started recording. Uh looked good, though. I mean, I enjoyed mine. Thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. How you been this... uh, Actually, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded one of these. Um, Again, stupid things like life getting in the way.
0: (laughs) You ain't kidding. Um,
1: But we are going to inundate you with podcasts this week. um, Because we have today's, which should be dropping on Wednesday morning. Because we're recording it on Tuesday evening. Friday morning, we will have our pre-Oscar... Uh, look and that's going to feature a special guest star uh, our good friend JW from the Loud Nerdy Podcast and then
0: Sunday
1: Sunday is Oscars and that means
0: (laughs) it's the most wonderful (laughs) time of the year well okay it's our Super Bowl
1: it is but (laughs) that also means um, right after the Oscars are over we record our Oscar post game show wrap up show
0: yeah kind of
1: and um, then that comes your way Monday morning uh, when the Website does its magic and automatically posts it while I'm still asleep because I've been up till 3.30 in the morning editing it or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, we both don't work on Mondays, so that's great.
1: That's true. We both take a day off because, goodness, you know.
0: Because we go all year for this one night. And what a so night like it's going to be. Santa, <laughs> we get the next day off.
1: It's always a Christmas allegory with you, isn't it? (laughs) Always,
0: always.
1: But, yeah, this year, though, it's going to be an interesting show. I mean, we say that every year. But they've dropped a number of categories from the live show that they're going to pre-award and record and edit and then slide in somehow.
0: We're getting three hosts.
1: Three hosts, yes. All women. I'm excited about that.
0: I'm so excited. Wanda. Did you...
1: Wanda, yo! I'm a big Amy Schumer fan since like before Amy Schumer and in, or inside Amy Schumer.
0: And then we get Regina as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm there for Wanda.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and did you see some of the uh, the the people they have presenting? Yes. Yeah, there's a couple in there. I'm like DJ Khalid? or uh. you know, there were a couple uh, Tony Hawk. Why, mm-hmm. why do we have the skateboard guy coming in?
0: Uh, um, unless he comes out in like
1: a Back to the Future 2 hoverboard. I'm not sure why he's going to be there.
0: Is there something that maybe he's attached to? I like a doc or something? Kobe Bryant was there a couple years ago? That's true.
1: Yep. He was, a yeah. Um, and he won. That's true. That's really crazy true. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, he might, there might be some kind of skateboarding documentary that's in the works that I just don't know about or haven't heard about. But that's a good thought. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um oh. And um oh crumbs, I'm just suddenly blanking on her name from West Side Story.
0: Yes, I saw Rachel Ziegler Rachel did Ziegler. not get an invite to this year's Oscars.
1: But late breaking news as of a couple of hours ago from the recording time. Uh, the Oscars did invite her to be a presenter, so that gets her in, that gets her a seat to the whole show and everything.
0: Okay, good, because so. uh, people were like, freaking out.
1: Rightfully livid, I think. Because she
0: won a Golden Globe for her performance and okay. then didn't receive a nomination for mm-hmm. the Oscar. That's fine, that happens also, all the time. And also, but let's face that, it,
1: she's the lead of West Side Story. She is the lead, yeah. More so than Ansel Igor.
0: I, I think, um, given Ansel's... Um, Personal history over the past couple years, um, <laughs> making it more centered around her in the publicity campaign. Her and Ariana Bois mm-hmm. was a good call.
1: Well, she's yeah, I mean, and I we've talked about kind of like her story, her path to getting that job and everything. Oh yeah. Before, and that's a great story. So if you're look, if you're a publicist looking to, you know, get people aware of your thing. And obviously that involves getting journalists who want to write about it. That's a hell of a story. You go, well, I got this person here who just in high school played the part, you know, in high school and then auditioned. And wham, she's in Spielberg's movie and, you know, as the lead.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites, though, is um, Ariana DeBois was sitting down talking with Lin-Manuel Miranda about when they had first met on Hamilton. uh, she said, oh, I'm Puerto Rican, and he tried to talk to her in Spanish, and she was just like,
1: uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't speak the language. She's like, I felt like a bad Puerto Rican. And then when I came on to do West Side Story and I auditioned, I was like, I have the skill set that you need and you want, but... Given what you're going for and the, the heritage and all that, I don't have that. Maybe I'm not the right fit. And they're like, no, you're you're absolutely the right fit. Oh, my God, yes. Because <laughs> uh, she's know, incredible as Anita.
1: Yes. She, I'd say <laughs> she's is, on par. Mm-hmm. This is one of those years where you just kind of look at certain movies and go, there should be an Oscar for casting.
0: <laughs> casting
1: directors should have their own Academy Award category because, man, oh, sakes alive, do they – you know, just sometimes line up just out-of-the-park uh, talent for these.
0: Yeah, for these it, it's it's rather incredible. Mm-hmm. That and stunt category. Someone get the stunt category.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, hey, let's have all the categories on, on the show.
0: Yes, instead of hiding some of them.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see how that um, fails. Or how that works out. Excuse me. And, um, a lot of people are going to be pissed. Oh, yeah. So so next Monday when we have our uh, post-game show, uh, tune in and we'll uh, break down how that broke down. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, but if you're looking to go to the movies this weekend. Um, there was you,
0: a, a recent release.
1: Uh, a new release. Yeah, it's This coming week. Uh, no,
0: it was last week, wasn't no, it? No, they
1: had a sneak preview last uh, week. Oh, yeah, that's right. And um, The Lost City with Channing Tatum and... Um,
0: Sandra Bullock and Daniel Radcliffe.
1: Yes, and it looked like a lot of fun. With a cameo from Brad Pitt. Yes. Now, <laughs> neither, of I, neither of us have seen it, um, and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about for this week. So I kind of realized that a lot of people have been saying... Yeah, The Lost City looks a little bit like Romancing the Stone. You know, an adventure movie with uh, some romance and funness and, you know, light light rom-com slash adventure movie. And I suggested that as uh, maybe a retro review for this week. And then Natasha was like, well, I was thinking about...
0: The uh, 30th anniversary release... Of Basic Instinct.
1: Yes, was uh, just a few days ago on March 20th.
0: Yes, which you haven't seen since the day after it came (laughs) out. Pretty much.
1: Yeah, we're recording this on the 22nd, and I think most likely um, 30 years and one day ago is (laughs) when I first and only time I saw Basic Instinct.
0: So you needed a refresher. Yeah.
1: So we go, wait a minute, they're both Michael Douglas.
0: Let's do a Michael Douglas double feature. Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) So... Um, I think there's probably going to be more to talk about with, um, Basic Instinct, but so let's, you know, kind of bounce on to Romancing the Stone first. Okay. Um, I've seen it a number of times. Hadn't seen it for a while when I rewatched it this past weekend. Um, and I enjoyed it. Again, I think it holds up as a fun 80s adventure movie. It was one of the most popular films of 1984. Um... I think it might have been... In, wasn't in the top 10. It was probably in the top 15 at the box office. Did well enough to warrant a sequel. I think um, Douglas and Kathleen Turner have a great, breezy, fun chemistry.
0: That's the one thing I will say I really loved about the movie was the chemistry.
1: Danny DeVito pretty much became a breakout movie star from this movie. As before, we only really saw him on Taxi, the, the sitcom. And... You know, it kind of helped reinvigorate the career of um, of the director as well. Um, oh, crumbs. I just had a brain fart on his <laughs> name. Um, uh, Robert Zemeckis. And, oh. Um,
0: seriously? Yeah,
1: yeah, that was Robert Zemeckis. You see, his well, previous two films, in, but... Used Cars and I Want to Hold Your Hand, which are both kind of considered classics, didn't do well at the I've box office. I've never heard of th- either of those. Oh, dear. We're going to have, I'm going to come over w- one Sorry. weekend and you Robert and Robert <laughs> Zemeckis for me is
0: Polar Express. It's
1: Roger Rabbit.
0: I've never seen Roger Rabbit. You know that. You know this. I
1: know. I know. I know. I'm, y- I'm coming y- over <laughs> with a stack of Blu-rays one day and we're having a Robert Zemeckis marathon. And you're going to enjoy it. <laughs>
0: yeah. And he's also uh, Jim Carrey's Christmas Carol for me.
1: Yes. Yeah. But, you know, this is where he first got his first rise as a director. Um, but when you we, – we talked a little bit briefly about it the other day. Mm-hmm. You were not as impressed with the movie.
0: I was not. Why? Because it's not original. Yes, it is. Not really. It's,
1: it's a spoof of – the in vogue version of romance novels at the time.
0: Well, I didn't read the romance novels of the time. Wait, did you?
1: I mean, do Just to kind of get the vibe of this is not my genre, but there are certain shots like once they get to the town and they're at the street festival mm-hmm. and they do the da- and they do the dancing and everything. That and was he dips. my f-
0: one of my favorite scenes. Okay, and he dips her. Yeah.
1: That shot is is it's like every third romance novel cover from the nineteen eighties. Every paperback novel was that shot.
0: Uh, I wouldn't know, um, but just going off of the film itself as a film, I've seen this exact same plot tweaked slightly probably four or five times, the bookish female who's never been a part of the world, maybe is agoraphobic, has a lot of problems uh, with society because she's such a hopeless romantic. She's locked away with her books, Gets gets out there and falls in love with an adventurer who opens her up to the world. I've seen it done multiple times in different genres, Nims Island. Ugh.
1: I've never seen Nims Island. When did that come out? Uh
0: 2006. Okay. Jodie Foster, Okay. Abigail Breslin, uh Gerard Butler. Okay. Um and Better Done in the Mummy with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Okay. With chemistry just as good.
1: Both of those films after this one, though. So this is kind of foundational to those other two films, but wouldn't you say? Were,
0: was it? Because yeah. a lot of the adventure films of the 30s and 40s were quite similar.
1: Oh, of course. Of course.
0: So um, is it really building anything new
1: um, I would say adding more of the uh, light romantic comedy element to it instead of just being a straight romance adventure, like say Stuart Granger and Deborah Carr in the '50s version of King Solomon's Mines, mm. so uh, or Secret of the Incas with Charlton Heston, which, well, if you ever watch that, you will see how much it rips off Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's Amazing. (laughs) It's amazing that nobody got sued.
0: (laughs) But I I don't know. There was just – it wasn't enough to keep me going. I kept sitting through it going, please don't let me guess. I've already guessed what's about to happen in about three minutes from now. It was just – for me, it was rather predictable. If it wasn't for the chemistry between Michael Douglas and Kathleen Mm -hmm. Turner, I probably would have shut it off in the first 20 minutes. Okay, so... That and I had to actually watch it for this damn podcast.
1: Ouch. <laughs> um, so you're saying it... It pales in comparison a little bit just because it's been done over and over again? It's
0: been done to death.
1: hmm
0: uh, I- And to be honest uh, with... Kathleen Turner's character yeah she becomes more and more open but it's not because of meeting him but that's how they play it she's got it in her from the beginning Mm -hmm. unlike with Jodie Foster and Nim's Island who's agoraphobic here she's not working up the courage to do anything new she's going because she's going it, it it doesn't by having her away from society and a hopeless romantic, mm-hmm. it it just didn't. It, the arc didn't work because she was already doing things without Michael Douglas's character in the first five minutes of having Michael Douglas.
1: <laughs>
0: there there wasn't like a get yourself out of your shell moment.
1: Um. I, I would say there's a passive get yourself out of your shell moment when they both spend the night in the crashed plane. And.
0: But, 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 he mentions that the whole plane was full of um, something that'll get you five and ten back in the States. And she goes, oh, marijuana. Like. Uh, and she's like, I went to college.
1: <laughs> so was it, it
0: wasn't really a get yourself out of your show no. moment. It's remembering someone you once were.
1: Yeah. And that is the start of her becoming more adventure. Well, I mean, they have to be adventurous for what they are, but being more aggressive and, and more proactive in the adventure as she opposed to just being. She was proactive from the
0: moment she crossed that bridge on her own, even though they said it was uncrossable.
1: Mm-hmm. But she wasn't competently crossing that bridge. You know, she almost falls through and she, you know, only gets to the other side via the vine by an accident, really. I think we see her become more confident and competent as well as we go through the movie.
0: The whole fight scene at the end Uh, with Zolo? Mm Mm-hmm. I actually—okay. okay Darren was sitting next to me watching this entire movie with me. Mm -hmm. And through that entire fight scene, I kept screaming at the television, he's got a fucking cigar hanging out of his mouth. When the (laughs) hell are you going to grab it and burn him with it? That when she finally did, Mm -hmm. in the last 20 seconds of said four-minute fight scene, like four-minute wrestling match, don't stab me with a knife situation, I actually went... About fucking time. <laughs> it would have been the first thing I would have done.
1: Um, I'm suddenly worried for your husband who smokes cigars now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just, it was there. It was there.
1: What can I say? You have to have a little bit of uh, tension. So ultimately, you didn't really like it though.
0: It was okay. It is not something I plan on returning to when I know that there are better versions of this exact same storyline out there.
1: So if I were to tell you next week we're doing a retro review of the sequel Jewel of the Nile.
0: I would tell you kiss your ass. (laughs) Kiss your own fucking ass because I'm not going to do it. My
1: back isn't fixed. (laughs) But anyways, okay,
0: Go see a chiropractor.
1: I know. Anywho. (laughs) Let's move on then to the second half of our Michael Douglas double feature
0: definitely a better film in comparison
1: for Mm -hmm. me although one that i would say equally draws a lot of uh, draws on a lot of tropes that have come before it it's just by the mid 80s late 80s or early 90s whenever this came out yeah 92 92. obviously 30th (laughs) anniversary math uh it's fun and um I would say you know it's it's allowed to explore them more fully, uh, because okay, basic instinct, um, it's very much a, a psychological sexual thriller. Yes, it draws a lot on film noir tropes
0: and Hitchcock
1: and Hitchcock, and it's able to delve into those aspects much deeper than they could in the 40s 50s and 60s yes when these genres and and this director was working
0: it also um, introduces something that at this time was even more rare a character who's bisexual mm-hmm not just lesbian or gay but actually does
1: both yeah but that was very controversial even before the movie came out because um, the gay community can we retroactively call them the LGBTQ community yeah okay at the time before they had the name the mm-hmm. LGBTQ <laughs> community uh, was very upset with this movie because let's face it through the history of cinema a lot of times gay characters are shown to be villains villains and killers like um, one of my favorite newspaper movies While the City Sleeps
0: and uh, don't forget uh, Scaramanga
1: Scaramanga um, I would say also uh, the two assassins in the James Bond movie Diamonds Are Forever. Those guys are so coded and so stereotypical. It's really cringe to to go back and rewatch that. And when I did my Bond rewatch about six seven years ago, I, even then I was just like, oh, ooh, yikes! <laughs>
0: here they're not. It doesn't feel like they have to be coded. They mm-hmm. just are what they are. And, and one of the things also that was and still to a certain extent gets talked about a lot mm. um, is whether or not bisexuals exist.
1: Well, yes. Yes.
0: And having a, a strong female woman, your lead, be bisexual as in no preference at all. In fact, I have this partner, watch me with this partner. It, it's very, it's it's open mm-hmm. in a way that we don't see in a lot of films that came out at that time. Yes,
1: it just so happens she's also the killer. And they don't make any tie between Did you finish s- the movie today? Yes. Oh.
0: So is she really?
1: I think she is. Okay, we'll, we'll get back <laughs> to that. We'll get back <laughs> to that. Um, and spoilers. Um,
0: it's 30 years old.
1: <laughs> but yes. <laughs> um, but whether or not she is the killer, the fact that she is a suspect is only hinged, is not hinged upon the fact that she's bi. No. It's, you know, she, you could have played this as a straight character.
0: Oh, God, yeah. And Easily. without... Too
1: many changes at all, Mm -mm. and it would be only just like you know changing pronouns in the script, and and Roxy and Roxy yeah yeah you'd have to you know Roxy is just a um, a boy toy to her Mm -hmm. instead of you know a gal toy, um, and and I think this movie would have played exactly the same way.
0: It 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 works, but it doesn't because there are some plot points in which in which Roxy is kind of. Integral for being a lookalike, um, mm-hmm. Catherine Tremaine, Sharon Stone's character is such a narcissist that of course she would be with someone who looks exactly like her.
1: True, yeah. <laughs> mm. And I, I guess you can't do the plot, uh, the plot line where she, where where suspicion falls upon um, Beth, the mm-hmm. police psychologist. So yeah, I mean, I mean, we're kind of getting off on a a weird tangent here, but but let's talk about Beth for a moment here, okay? Because a, she's integral to the finale, mm-hmm. and B, as I was sitting there watching it, you know, in that first scene or two with between Gene um, Triplehorn and Michael Douglas, my brain's going, this seems weird there should be departmental regulations against this kind of relationship happening or if the fact that you know they had this relationship he should not be assigned to her to be his psychologist or psychiatrist i
0: have i have thought about that in the past myself Mm -hmm. that there is a, a personal aspect that would allow the professional side to become blurred Um, And
1: And, and to the script's credit, it kind of acknowledges – it doesn't say it, but I think it acknowledges it in everybody's actions. Yeah. Which is why I'm sitting there thinking, why don't they have rules against this? You guys are causing more of your own problems.
0: There's also a part of me that thinks that um, the way the script is written is obviously everyone knows, but because they're not – exclusive with each other. It's not mm-hmm. truly a relationship. So they kind of just like brush it off as, "Oh, he <laughs> fucks her every now and then."
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There there's a lot of non-exclusivity in this in this. And
0: that's that's one thing. of the things I absolutely love about it is its openness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I'm so used to watching films where your characters are they're obviously paired off. Like it's sometimes they're paired off, just because they they feel like they should be, but the partner plays no role whatsoever. They're mm-hmm. just, oh, that's my wife. Oh, that's my husband. Yeah. What the fuck? Like
1: mm-hmm. here, they're
0: there to be window
1: decoration. Here, their sexual relationships um, are more defined Yeah, they define action and inform the plot and inform the characters too.
0: And that's one of my... That's what I love about it so much is when you get down to it, fear, desire, like those are the base emotions of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what this film centers around more than anything. It's not love or morality it's more animal there's a reason why the film's called basic instinct
1: (laughs) (laughs) yep um and it's funny too that we're revisiting it now uh because one of the six perennial topics on film twitter is you know and they kind of cycle through these so we've cycled back around in the last couple of weeks to um is nudity or sex scenes needed in film because people are saying in mainstream film right now, mm-hmm. you're not seeing it at all. I mean, yeah, in indie films and and um, foreign films, they're more accepting of some nudity or a sex scene or things like that. And um, well, the mainstream
0: films are also being hit for blockbusters that parents take their kids
1: to. Yeah, yeah, you want that four quadrant audience, of yeah, everybody, you want all the monies.
0: Yeah, um, and you kind of can't... It was really difficult w- for a lot of people with Eternals to get their, wrap their heads around, oh, shit, we just got our m- first Marvel sex scene and our first Marvel gay character. hmm And no wonder they, they don't bring them out. It's because when they do, they get shut out by certain countries or they get shut down by certain aspects of your audience that are regulars.
1: Yeah, but... That's for blockbusters. I and I think this is more endemic of the problem with, bl- with studios altogether. Is they're constantly just putting all their money into blockbusters. They're not making those mid-budget films anymore mm-hmm. that are you know thirty to seventy million dollars and could easily recoup them back you know three three hundred million at the box office. Yeah. You know if it's done well. And this is kind of like a movie like that. That okay, it's not for everybody. It's definitely for adults. It's rated R. Um, but it's a smart thriller. It, you know, involves adult themes. I don't, th- and this is kind of something I was thinking about too, is like, it's not exploitative.
0: No. Every, I don't every, feel every, at all. I feel like every erotic sex scene, and there are a couple that are very long,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, or even Beth and, uh, I, I can't remember Michael Douglas's character's name. <laughs> Colton. Thank you. Yeah. No, no. that's wrong oh, no, one. That's, yeah, that's Romancing the Stone.
1: Yeah. Um, but Gene Triplehorn and Michael Douglas's. Yeah,
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's closer to almost like a rape scene. It, 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 it's, it's pretty violent.
1: It's rough, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, uh, you can tell she's kind of in on it, but at the exact same time, it's mm-hmm. like, and even it, though it's... It it's, reveals
1: something about his character and where this character is at the moment. Exactly. And also, when he is in bed with um, Sharon Stone's character... I think it's for the first time when she's on top, and then he flips her over, mm-hmm. and then she flips him back, and then she's mad because she realizes she lost control for a minute or two. Yeah. She was not the one in charge. She was not the one taking the pleasure. Which is interesting and, because is there's a,
0: a mirror right above the bed, so you mm-hmm. want control? You can watch it all.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, but she doesn't. No. And that was... That I thought was like, wow, that's really revealing about her character. And some people would just look at it and go, eh, sex scene. I don't think that's necessary. And they'd be wrong. They would absolutely There's be wrong in so this. There's
0: so many uh, – sex scenes in films can give so much away about plot or about character in just the slightest movement. And uh, – and no, I don't think this, this film is exploitative of its sex scenes or of its nudity in any way, shape, or form.
1: The it, film it's itself, a- I think some of the advertising was and some of the buzz around it when it came out. Yeah, definitely. that
0: definitely was exploitative. But in hindsight, yeah, that may have not been the best way to play it. But I I don't know. I think it's... I, I think. 30 years later not being affected by that publicity of the time allows me to form new thoughts around it oh
1: yeah yeah definitely um i was kind of surprised with the 30th anniversary i went online and looked i didn't see like a whole lot of
0: talking about um, it
1: new new critical looks at the film there was kind of like the oh yeah there's a uh 4k you know restoration coming out soon or something like that and hey remember when you know the movie came out and people were upset and and that was it really there wasn't anything that kind of like really kind of dug into the movie again to
0: that's a shame there's there's a lot in this film to delve into once you get past the um just the top layer yeah uh usually I I do a Michael Douglas double feature with Basic Instinct, but it's usually Fatal Attraction.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. With Glenn Close, yeah, that's a great. That's another
0: pick. great '80s uh, erotic thriller um, that deals. One of the the main themes of both of these films is dealing with the uh, idea of obsession, and both of these films, I think, do it in a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, in Fatal Attraction, it's a woman who, I mean, come on, we've all heard the famous line, I, I'm not going to be ignored. Um, so it's the woman in that situation. But over here, it's the man. And it's not so much his obsession with the woman. It's the obsession with what she stands for, uh, his case. Uh, it's There's just, it's so much.
1: True. Um, yeah, and I—I I was actually checking. I know
0: you've not seen fetal, fetal attraction. Fetal
1: attraction. That's, that's,
0: <laughs> that sounds really weird. I kind of want to write a film now called Fetal Attraction. It's about two babies who meet in the in the incubator room after they get out.
1: <laughs> what is it? Fetal attraction sounds like the name of a Family Guy episode. <laughs> Something with Stewie and, you know, something else happening, you know.
0: Someone get Seth McFarlane on the phone right now.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, no, I have not seen Fatal Attraction. I don't know why it's one of those that's kind of skimmed by me. So um, I know. And I Ann Archer is lovely. Oh, of course she is. Um, but uh, my thought here is um, Fatal Attraction came after... Basic Instinct, correct? Other way around. Other way around? Okay. Um, Because it was like right around that time, though, that we kind of had that mini boom of adult thrillers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Joe Esterhaus, who wrote um, Basic Instinct, of course, made shit ton of money (laughs) around (laughs) that time. Um, This is the movie that kind of, you know, like made him blow up. And then he went on to write Jade, Sliver, um, Showgirls. And then
0: let's not talk about that one. No. Well, hey,
1: he got paid. I don't, I don't, oh God, a five or six million for that. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what it was. Um, and he also had like a number of screenplays he sold to the studios for anywhere between two and five million dollars around this time. And um, he he was eh, that didn't get made. And he was just cranking this stuff out. The one movie I wish had gotten made. Um, and didn't was called Sacred Cows. It was a political satire about the President of the United States who gets caught <laughs> screwing a cow. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> I can't even see a studio going, yeah, let's make that movie. Or let's spend $2 million on that script and then not make it.
0: What? what when did they buy it?
1: Uh, Mid-90s.
0: That's why. Impeachment. Yeah. There was a whole...
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. And that, there was a whole lot of cocaine going on in Hollywood right then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. remind me. I'll send you a copy of it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, but man. yeah and, and and let's kind of like take a step back though on Basic Instinct um, there are some great great supporting characters actors in this thing
0: Wayne Knight
1: Wayne Knight first of all is amazing <laughs> in this movie he's so good yeah he's not Newman
0: He's not sleazy guy from Jurassic Park whose name I can't remember other than I really hate that guy. See, see,
1: uh, nobody, <laughs> <doesn't>, nobody cares. <laughs> um, but he's really good in this. He, he's subtle. Yeah. Um, and he's just in the that scene, the interrogation scene, basically. No, he's he's, he's in, in, one, in one scene more. One
0: or two others.
1: That kind of sets that up. Yeah. But... And how he is as that assistant district attorney, you know, trying to be official and just totally falling under Sharon Stone's spell.
0: That that, see, that scene, the interrogation room, is, if, if, even if you were to take away the iconic shot, mm-hmm. it is such a good dynamic going on there. I think it's one of the best scenes written where, a woman walks in and just completely has all the confidence, all the power, and the way she's lit with that backlighting against the wall—they mm-hmm. have it so it looks like she's almost behind bars.
1: At the same time, though, but she also she looks like she's so on a throne. Comfortable, yeah. She's on a throne. She's the queen of that room. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and, and you're right. She owns it. And the camera like whips back and forth between the guys. And it's the only time the camera doesn't move like that. Every other every other th- scene, it's either they're cutting, you know, they don't move the camera a whole lot, except to reveal things like the last shot of the movie, things like that. But, so the
0: camera whipping mm-hmm. back and forth is that supposed to symbolize her eyes on them?
1: That could be. That could be. Um, or watching just watching
0: mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and Deciphering watching their, her yeah, prey th-
1: as the power of her is just washing over them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good observation. I like that, um, and it's it's you're right. It's an incredible scene. Um, there's also the great Stephen Tobolowsky.
0: Yeah, I knew you were going to bring
1: him up. <laughs> <laughs> he's only in that one scene as the psychiatrist's, uh, the consulting psychiatrist early on, uh, but he's really good, and he, he brings like a certain. Aura of professionalism and just a little bit of like – I don't want to say menace, but he's really driving home that you guys are in a bad situation. You do know this, right? Um, And it's so different from so many of the other things we've seen him in. You know, everybody remembers him as Ned Ryerson – in, oh, Groundhog, Grand, the, Grandhog, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Yes, yeah. Same guy. It's and he between those two showing just an incredible range. Um, I'm kind of bummed that he's not well more well known. You know, I mean, I think movie nerds know him and know him by name and go, "Oh, Stephen Tobolowsky." Uh, <laughs> and to the general public, though, he's it's more of a, "Oh,
0: it's that guy." <laughs> There are so many actors that even as a film nerd, I'm like, oh, it's that guy from uh, the. the, I I don't know their name, but I know what movies they're from. I could rattle off like five Mm -hmm. right off the top of my head.
1: And he's worked as a writer too, as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, done stage, a lot of TV, a lot of film. That's, I really want (laughs) to see him do more stuff.
0: Well, that was 30 years ago, so uh, where are we standing now with him? Actually, Jean <laughs> uh, Triplehorn, right, played best. Yes. She's on The Gilded Age. Oh, good. On HBO, and mm-hmm. she has a pretty substantial, sizable, uh, supporting role. She mm-hmm. plays the character of Mrs. Chamberlain, um, who is kind of like the city society's outcast. Not for being new money like the Vanderbilt to the Rockefellers or any of those, but because of a huge scandal, mm. and uh, she turns out to be like one of the best characters <laughs> in the first season. Okay. Um,
1: I have not caught up with. Gilded I know,
0: Age. I know you um, haven't, um, but uh, it was it was so nice to see her back on on the oh, screen.
1: Yeah. She she this I think is her first film role. Or one of the very first film roles, and she's fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh, she's and then, so good. She's so of course, powerful. Of she went on to be in Waterworld, but you know, nobody's perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a movie we don't uh, talk about. That's Water Under the Bridge.
1: Wamp wamp.
0: <laughs> what? <sighs> you make some pretty bad puns too. I, I do.
1: I guess. I'm sorry.
0: Every right now and then, you gotta let me have one. Okay. <laughs> Fair
1: enough. Um, but even, you know, uh, all the other supporting actors are great. All the different actors they have playing, the various cops, the internal affairs officer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy just, he shows up the first moment you go, I want to punch him right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> He's just awful. And, um, you know, I, I uh, think that's all fantastic. Um, what was the name who, of the actress who plays? Roxy. Roxy. I don't know. Did you catch her, Roxy's last name though?
0: No. What was it? Hardy. Hardy.
1: And I, and for a brief moment, I was like, "Is is he doing a Roxy Hart slash Chicago wink here or not?" Uh,
0: he may have. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, it it just kind of popped out at me as like, yeah, Roxy Hart, Roxy Hardy." Because at first I thought they said Roxy Hart, and I'm like, "Wait, what?" Oh no! And then you see on. On a uh, folder, it says Roxy Hardy or Roxanne Hardy. Um, but
0: Leilani Sorrell, um, was the actress,
1: yeah. Okay, looks like she's I don't know if she's working still or not, but
0: she's still currently working, oh, but not like, yeah. Oh, she was in for love of the money, um, but that was the film. Yeah, 2016 might have been, like, the last big thing. She does a couple of episodes every now and then of uh, Glee or The Mentalist or... Dream On. Yeah. Which
1: I still wish HBO would crack out of the vaults and put onto HBO Now.
0: (laughs) But overall, Mm -hmm. not a big name. Yeah. It's a shame because she's good in what she does. Yeah. It's not a big role, but it's... it's,
1: Pity about that second car chase sequence, though. That was another thing I had forgotten about. Was you know two good car chase sequences in this movie, and um, they're both shot differently, and they both are really effective. Um, oh, and the other thing too. Speaking of car chases and streets, okay. Back in the sixties, Michael Douglas starred in a series called The Streets of San Francisco. So for older audiences. In 93, excuse me, 92, seeing him as a cop in San Francisco probably helped sell the character a little bit more, too, I'm wondering.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes some sense. Yeah. But uh, overall, if you haven't had a chance to go check out either of these movies, go ahead. Uh, they're both a real fun time. One you can watch with the kids. The other one makes certain they go to bed first.
1: Yes. <laughs> and um,
0: and when you're watching the second You and your partner just enjoy the hell out of
1: it. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Both those films are available on HBO Max.
0: Yep. So go have some fun. Have a good Michael Douglas double feature. I know we certainly did.
1: Yes. And I think, though, that wraps us up for this week.
0: Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe.
1: And if you like what you're listening to, please leave a positive review, because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back in just a couple of days as we teased at the top of the program with our big academy awards pre-show episode with our special friend and guest jw from the loud nerdy podcast
0: and that's all right here on the big picture podcast